And yes, welcome back to Talking League, your weekly NRL fantasy podcast. Get your fins up as we preview the Dolphins for the 2024 season. My name's Jason. I'll be your host for this one. And I'm joined by our resident Dolphins fan, Sean. Sean, mate, how are you traveling? Yeah, good. Ready to rip into a bit of fantasy. I've missed it a little bit, but keen to go back into it. How are you, mate? Yeah, really good. It's been quite a long pre-season, although I had a bit of fun doing talking sport with, with Richard Seaballs and Jake over the, over the summer. But uh, good to get back into our bread and butter, which of course is NRL fantasy. So... In this episode, folks, we'll be covering the studs, duds, cashies, and breakouts slash bounce backs for the NRL's newest club in 2024 season. But before we start, uh, be sure to join in the fun on social media. We are Talking League Pod on TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram, as well as Talking League One on Twitter, or X if you prefer. You can, of course, find all our content and information at TalkingLeaguePod.com. All right, Shorty, let's have a little bit of a look into the Dolphins as a team coming into 2024. They, of course, finished 13th in their inaugural season, 2024 games. Herbie Farnworth and Thomas Flegler from the Broncos, Jake Averell in from the Bulldogs, Oren Keely in from the Knights. For the losses, Brenko Lee released. Herman Sasa hit it to Hull, Poasa Farmacilli hit it to the Bulldogs, and JJ Collins is unsigned. For the buys, they have round three as a standalone buy, round 14 a minor buy, and then round 18 is also a standalone buy round. They are the team that finishes their buys third after the Titans and Rabbitohs, who finish in round 17. Their first seven rounds, they've got the Cowboys at home, Dragons at home, buy round three, Titans away, Tigers at home, Broncos away at Suncorp Stadium in round six, and then they head to the Northern Territory to play the Eels. Match locations this year, 15 in Queensland. And they leave Queensland just once before round 12, short. Now, if we're looking at the at the team for 2024, do you think the fact they barely leave Queensland at the start of the season might be conducive to starting quite well and getting a few wins on the board? I think it's pretty handy. The round three buy is not ideal for the team itself, but the lack of movement and probably just having another year for some of those younger guys could see them kick the year off really well. Yes, certainly. And you look at their sightings, their upgrades on what they had in their squad last year. As we know, they effectively played two million under the cap. Obviously, they front-loaded contracts to fulfill the cap and make sure the ROPO was happy. But over the next couple of years, it's been pretty good for them because they can basically just cherry-pick any player that's available in a position that they don't uh, have the best depth at. And you know, for this season, they may not go better than 13th. But say two or three years, would you expect them to be a regular in the eight? I'm going to go on a little bit of a narrative, and I think they're a top eight team this year. I think they've got pretty solid depth in the forwards now and good quality there to double up. Hammerso gets another year at fullbacks and better strike weapons and hopefully a full season of O'Sullivan. Yeah, fingers crossed Sean can stay fit, but we'll jump into our studs now. How good is this bloke? Now, this is a bloke that's very close to my heart, Sean. He was my love interest last year. Of course, I'm talking about Hamaso Tabua Fado. He is potentially on the radar this year, but what are your thoughts on him? I think I'm going to steal him as my love interest this year. Having dual position, he's priced at 564 and a 41 break even. I wouldn't go too outlandish and say he's a keeper wing fullback, but having the center position, he's probably ideal there. Playing fullback in the Dolphins team, fingers crossed. A better team overall, great attacking stats, and also a great support player. One thing to note is he had a 42.5 average at fullback last year, but a 46.8 average with Sean O'Sullivan, an average 0.8 of a try in that time. So if the Titan, if, sorry, if the Dolphins team can get better, I think Camaso is a big recipient of that, and having Herbie there might give him a bit more attacking plays and support plays. 
Yeah, it's a fair shout that the weapons that they're going to have and the extra speed that they'll have in 2024 certainly help Hammer. So not only in terms of getting him available one-on-one against some defenders on islands, but potentially uh, in terms of some try assists by just putting, you know, a Herbie through a gap. Now, a few concerns that we probably have with our origin plays from the Dolphins, Sean, of course, their buys mean that they are available round 13, round 16, and round 19 in major buy rounds. But of course, origin plays aren't available in those rounds. With Hamaso being so good for Queensland last year, and obviously being a New South Wales was a victim of that, is that a concern from you from the start? Or is this sort of a play where you're looking at it going, I'm going to play him and then get to round 13 and then try and make a decision? If, if he's a super gun at that point, I might keep him. And then if he's not been that well, uh, then I might sell him. That's almost exactly what I want. I don't really like the center position this year a heap. I'd rather spend up a little bit more, get someone that I can hold to round 13 and use my first trade there instead of waiting to round three or four, and I've already used two trades on my centers. That's a fair call. As we saw last year, if you spend plenty of trades on centers, it's going to be quite painful for you. And the other thing about Hammer, and it seems like I'm a Jules Zedex lover here sort of trying to criticize him, but he (laughs) does appear to be a low-ceiling player based on his first season at fullback. He had two scores of 65, which was his best score, and they both required a double a lot of tackle bus, and he, inverted commas, only ended up on 65. Even when he scored a double in origin, he scored 51. Do you think that his ceiling will improve this year in terms of when he has those bigger games they might push into the 70s and 80s? I would hope so. It's one of those things where we're so far out from the season, you've kind of just got to write some narratives that you want at the moment. And if you think the Dolphins are a team on the up, he should improve from having 0.2 tries and 0.5 line break assists regardless. So you should see an extra sorry, couple of points there. Yeah, it's a fair shot. And like we said, that new centre pairing, uh, we'll talk about one of those in a second, should make uh, his life a little bit easy when it comes to getting those try assists and line break assists. But speaking of the centres for the Dolphins, Herbie Farnworth is a player that I've got on the notice boards to try and get in at some point this season. Of course, the Dolphins got the buy round three, so it sort of sets a narrative for most of these players as potentially being in a void. But what we like about Herbie, he's English, so he can't play Origin. And with the Dolphins' buy schedule, it means for those major and minor buy rounds. He'll be available for five or six of them. It's just that round 14 one then he'll miss. In 2023, what we saw from him, of course, he was playing for the Broncos, who were a premiership contender, but his try scoring rate actually dropped. So his uplift came from other characteristics that he could bring over to the Dolphins. So his offloads are up, his tackle bus was up, his run meters are up, and his net tackles were up in terms of more tackles and sort of less missed tackles. So if he can bring those uh, across with him, he's only 24, so physically he's heading towards the peak of his powers. There is scope for him to continue on that path. Of course, there's some risks with him in in sense of he's going from a genuine contender to a mid-table mover, so potentially might end up in some harsher defensive situations. And that left edge does concern me with what we're seeing coming out in all these team previews. We've got Lemuel left edge back row, uh, who can be good for a miss or coming out of the line too early. We've got Sean O'Sullivan coming off a major peck injury. So there is a bit of concerns there that if they get uh, themselves in some bad situations, teams might just go left all day uh, and tire Herbie House. Now, there's also another thing. I don't know if you noticed this year, Sean. He had two sin bins, and they were both pretty silly ones. Did you see the one against the Bunnies where he uh, got done for tripping? Yeah, he's, he's just um, a bit rough at some times. Herbie trying to do too much, I think, which probably isn't a good thing on that Dolphin's edge. Yeah, or maybe it's just because he was a, a former Manchester United trainee. He just gets confused about what sport he's playing and just sticks the boot out to try and stop stop the play with the ball. But 
terms of his projection, I've got him sitting in that sort of 45 to 48, which not really much of a big call considering he averaged 47 last year. I think the timing for him will probably be if he has an early slump, you can jump on and try and get him at a low. But after that round 14 buy, he'll have had two buys done and then he'll be available for the rest of those major buy rounds. And then in round 18, when they've got that standalone buy, if you've only got one or two Dolphins, uh, there's no issues there because you've got the other 16 teams playing. So there are our studs. Now, just circling back to Hammer there, Sean, in terms of your projection for him, what are you expecting this year? I think it would be pretty safe if the Dolphins are on the up. They're a 48 to 52 point player there. Um, obviously, trying to slot him in at center. Again, it just depends on what you're looking at the Dolphins at this year, whether they're a top eight team or they're floundering at the bottom again. Yeah, we'll just have to wait and see. Everyone didn't expect them to win a game till about round 10 last year and they won their first three. Uh, so we'll wait and see. If the Dolphins don't start too well, we might have a fair few of these. No, 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 no. Now, this is potentially a big call here, Sean, in terms of your first start. We're going for a hyphenator play, and we know we love those at Talking League. Jerry Marshall King, he was a mainstay in my team last year. We've got him in the dud pile, and why is that the case? So I had him last year. I enjoyed it until his shoulder started falling off. Had a couple of shoulder injuries, which (laughs) him and Reed Marty might fight it out for cardboard shoulders this year. That's one red flag (laughs) I have with him is just that reduced defensive output. If you look at the last five games he played, he had a 46, 60, 31, and 19. But in there, he had seven missed tackles, five missed tackles, and two missed tackles. I don't see that trend necessarily continuing as much, but I also think he'll have reduced minutes this year. Harrison Graham, Max Plath, even Mason Teague might steal some time off him. Plus, I'd imagine Cody Nick- Nickareem is the 14. And we'll steal some minutes of um, JMK in the middle there. So I'd probably project him at having about 60 minutes a game, which probably drops his point output to around 40 to 44. Yeah, plus if we're looking at players that can steal minutes for him, if Jared Wallace is in the full pack, he, of course, started Hawker a couple of times last year. So Jeremy, I'll have to watch out for him as well. But I think you're on the money there in terms of he's probably not going to be at the same output that he was last year unless his attacking stats are up there. Now, I looked at his attacking points per game. It was basically about 7.4 points per game when he played over 50 minutes. So I have ignored those games where he went off early with injury. And whether that's going to be sustainable or not is going to be interesting. I guess it'll depend on the play style that the Dolphins adopt. You know, you wouldn't say Isaiah Katoa and Sean O'Sullivan should be the pairing of the most dominant halves, but you think with the speed out wide, they're going to want to try and get the ball out wide as quickly as possible. So that round three buy doesn't make it a bit tricky because then you're probably having to spend up in the hooker position to get another player in. I know a lot of people are you know, potentially looking at a Reese Robson or a Brandon Smith who are actually quite uh, you know, compatible for most of the period. Of course, though, if you did have, say, Marshall King and Jeez, if you're looking down the, the long path, uh, they both have buys in round 14, which is probably not what you want. So... He might be one to wait and see, see in the trials. Uh, you know, so if we say see a you know, Harrison Graham or a Max Plath playing some minutes at hooker, uh, you would say at round one you'd strike a line through Marshall King? Yeah, he's probably also a good player to have a look at after the round three bye and just see what their rotation looks like, how they're playing, whether it's very similar to last year where it's through the middle and he gets to run a fair bit or if they do spread it a bit wider, like you said. So after round three, have a look, but I don't think he's going to have the same output this year. Yeah, and I think a lot of coaches will agree with that as well, especially if he's not going to get that 80 minutes. Now, another play that you've put in the firing line here, he used to wear a maroon jersey in terms of the Broncos. Of course, he'll wear one 
uh, for Queensland this year, I'd imagine that's Thomas Flegler. So 513k break even of 37. Now, in terms of Flegler, do you just think it's going to be potentially coaches tempted by the fact he's moving teams that might make him uh, potentially like a bit of a dud slash trap? Yeah, I think it's just new houses might make people a bit intrigued, but there's no real upside to having Flegler. And his price is a bit inflated from two scores of 46 and 60 in his last two in 2023. I don't see his minutes necessarily improving from 43.7 last year. And he's not necessarily a tackle-breaking, offloading kind of middle. He's in there, does his job, and will rotate well with guys like Gafusi and the Bromwiches. Yeah, and another thing that I noted, and it was a great pickup by the amateurs, he has a 27% sin bin rate. That is one in every four games. He's sitting down for 10 minutes after copying the cheese from, from the referee. Now... At 27%, Sean, that tells me that he's going to get sin-binned again, right? Even if it's not necessarily for doing something silly, even just on reputation, if he's involved in a scuffle, the referee's going to go, right, mate, you go sit down for 10. Yeah, the fourth game, he gets he's probably due for a sin-bin. I didn't know that, and I like that even less now, so I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. Now, potentially with someone like Flegler, would he be an option to maybe take a punt on and draft if you had got to, say, pick 16 or 17 and you needed a mid and you want to take a bit of a gamble? Would that be the scenario where you might play him instead of in Classic? I think so. You probably just want him sitting on the bench even in draft and wait for those forwards to fall off a little bit. And then when he's the clearing away pack leader, swap him in then. Yeah. Now, the only other thing that I would consider with Flegler is we are expecting Lamoelle to line up on the left edge and uh, Felice Kafusi on the right edge. If somehow Lemuelu ends up on the bench and we see Tommy Gilbert starting on the left edge, do you think that'll open up more minutes in the middle for Flegler to potentially become relevant? Potentially. I don't think Gilbert will be on the edge. If he was going to be on the edge, he would have started there last year. I think he'll probably sit and lock, play 60 to 65 minutes. And that's probably where most coaches would hope Flegler's minutes lie. I think he'll lose them. I also think there's the potential for you and Aitken to come off the bench and take Kafusi into the middle at points in the game, which probably means there's less minutes for Flegler to take. Yeah, so looks like we're going to be putting a mark through Thomas Flegler. Now, the plays that we don't put marks through uh, coming into round one are our cashies. Now, there's a few options here, Sean, at different price points that we might be looking at either from round one or further into the season. And we'll start with the guy that we expect to line up on the left wing, Jack Bostock. Of course, he's priced at 307k, so it gives him a break even of 22. In terms of what you saw from him last year, do you see there's scope for him to improve in 2024? I think so. He'll be outside Herbie, which will give him a lot more potential for points. He's a big body. He gets another year of NRL preseason as well, which should help him. He's not the fastest guy in the world, so he won't be burning players, but he, being a bigger body, a lot of tackle breaks, good in the air. I think there's some potential there if the Dolphins are on the uptick as a team, that he might see some improved points from tries and try tackle breaks. Yeah, you rightly pointed out there that he's not exactly the most rapid player. Of course, for the listeners, I'm a Dolphin season ticket holder, so I head to every home game that they have in Brisbane. And it's just one thing you note is that even someone like a Tessie New was uh, sort of leaving him in his dust, which is a bit of concern for a, for a young player. Now, issue that I have with Bostock, Sean, is that in Queensland Cup, where mostly the teams that are associated with NRL teams are usually the strongest, he only averages 31 in Queensland Cup, 131 run metres, two tackle breaks per game, and again, that pace isn't there. Do you think that it's going to be that uplift factor being outside Herbie, that if he can somehow keep pace with him, 
uh, that he'll get a couple of quick, easy tries that might boost up his average in, in 2024. Yeah, it's, it would be the intrigue picking him up. I wouldn't necessarily have him in there thinking he's going to get 40s every week, but if I can stick him at 18th, 19th in the reserves, I'd be happy with that. One thing with Queensland Cup, I do believe he played a fair bit of centre as well in Queensland Cup, which probably doesn't help his base stats a heap, but being a bigger body coming in through the middle on return sets might see that rise a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. And that round three buy might be a bit of a pain in the proverbial as well, because if we're looking at other teams that have relevant winger fullbacks from round one, we've got Jaden Campbell at round two for the Titans, and then Ryan Pappenhausen in round four. So would that be a factor that you might be a little bit worried about, that you're having to rely on a second, sorry, a third or fourth choice winger fullback for three weeks in a row so early in the season? Potentially, but at the same time, if you're looking around that price point, there's guys like Kerry Weeks, Chevy Stewart, Xavier Savage, those kind of guys that are going to slot in there anyway. So it's kind of your appetite for your risk at that point and also what teams you think will fire early on to cover those wing fullbacks. Yeah, so with Bostack at this stage, it's probably just going to be if there's no other wing fullback caches or there's very few 250Ks that you might look at him. Otherwise, uh, let him go through to the keeper. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's probably the way to go. And then if you see two good rounds from him, pick him up in round four and just bite the losses of cash that you've had already. We'll see how he goes in those first couple of weeks, eh? Now, a player who we saw plenty of last year, Isaiah Katoa, 386K break even of 28. Now, Sean, with Katoa coming into his second season, do we see a bit of Lockley nearly a style improvement from first, second to second season with him? I'd hope so. I hope he's not a, I'll get an 80 in the first week like Elias did last year and then have heaps of people buy him and not continue on. But <laughs> I think Katoa has the potential to improve as an overall football player, improve his ball running, his ball passing, everything like that, having um, improved players like he might have Avrilo and Azarko on his right-hand side and just having increased potential for try assists and line break assists. He also should just grow as a player and gain more confidence under Wayne. And if you think the Dolphins are going to be a better team, he should be a recipient of that. Yeah, and I think his running game, we saw a few games last year where he actually backed himself and took on the line, and he actually looked a bit of a threat. He's not a massive human being just yet, obviously, only been out of school uh, for two years. But in terms of where you project him this year, all going where? Where's he looking at? All going well. I don't see him as a massive cashy, but up to about a 36 to 40 average, you might get maybe 8 to 12 points of value out of him. But again, it's a risk if you want to, don't want to take like a Kyle Flanagan. Yeah, that'll be interesting. I think Flanagan's probably got the front running just based on the fact that his coach is his father and as well he doesn't have a buy in round three. Would that be the two main splitting differences between those two players? At the point, yeah, at this point, yes, I, I do have Flanagan over Gatol, but things might change come round zero or round one. Yeah, we'll just have to wait for your preview team. And uh, I know last year you had Lockie Elias in your first one and uh, some interesting commentary uh, from the punters. I mean, if you kept him, you would have had a nice little cash rise from the start. So who knows? We might see Isaiah Katoa uh, slide in there. Uh, the last player we're going to have a look at uh, from our cashy perspective is Mason Teague. Now, of course, with this one, we're not expecting him to play round one. Uh, and that's kind of the theme with the Dolphins. A lot of these plays aren't necessarily going to be great picks from round one, just with that buy and you know the, the shape of the team. The thing that I like about him is he does profile a little bit as a Ruben Cotter-style player. I'm just going to clarify for that, listeners. I don't think he's as good as Ruben Cotter, but he's about the same height. He's got the same versatility, uh, and his footwork close to the line uh, is very, very good. So 
In terms of he, where he looks in the picture for the Dolphins at the start, I don't think he'll be in the 17 come round one, but there will be an opportunity for him at some point. If we go to his Q Cup stats last year, he averaged 47, playing across lock in the second row. So that's a PPM of about 0.8, which, funnily enough, lines up with what his PPM was when he actually got the opportunity to play some first grade last year. So I think with Teague, it's just going to be a watch and see how he's going in Q Cup. If he ends up getting slid into the forward rotation at some point when there's injuries or when Tommy Flegler gets his next suspension, there might be an opportunity to pick him up because the Dolphins do play those three major origin buy rounds. So you think that the likes of Flegler and Gilbert are going to be unavailable. You know, who knows with Kafusi what they're going to do on that right edge, whether they stick with Nunai or bring back uh, Finn Diesel. So one to watch because I feel like he could be a player that could make a quick 150k if he does get a couple of big minute games during that period. There's nothing stopping him doing that. So uh, in terms of where I would see him do- going if he was getting you know some decent minutes, I think that point eight ppm you would just peg him at that. So if he gets 45 minutes, he's probably going high 30s and making you know potentially some 125k quick cash. But in terms of how far away from the 17 he is short? Do you think he's just one or two injuries, or do you think it's more like three or four? I think he's pretty close. Um, from all reports, he's one of the heel train the house town kind of guys. So it honestly wouldn't surprise me if he is there round one. But I think he'll earn Wayne's trust through a bit of Q Cup early, just showing how much of a goal he really is in the middle. And coming from a Penrith pedigree, he is absolutely a, a hell of a player. Yeah. Plus, as well, for Jeremy Marshall Kingwatch, Mason Teague did play a bit of hooker last year as well. So you never know. He could oust uh, Nikorima or, or someone else to get that 14. And if he did, he would be an interesting prospect, although we probably want to see him actually do it a little bit. Right on. We're going to go into our bounce backs for this year. Wake up. Wake up. Players are going to wake up from obscurity. They're actually both center tag this year, I believe. And the first one we've got is you and eight can 549k break even a 40. Now, Sean, what sort of scenario would we be looking at Aiken for? So early on in the season, Connolly Lemuelli does have a knee injury coming from last year. He might necessarily be back around one, but all reports are that he will be. If not, I do think Aiken's probably first in line for either edge position if Kafusi decides to get suspended again, or if Lemuelli does have more injury concerns, which he did have last year. If he is starting at center, uh, sorry, in the back row, he's nearly a guaranteed pickup at that point, as he does have a 50 average in the back row and scored 66 in the one game he played last year. I would probably like to see him start on the bench, though, lose a little bit of cash and come down from 549k, and then once he's in that starting pack, Probably pick him up at that point and play him as your keeper center if you can and move him on at a high price. Now, I'll throw a scenario at you. We get to round one. Connor Lemelo is not in the 22-23 squad named by the Dolphins round one. And Aiken sitting there, presumably playing left back row. Do you take a punt on him? I think it would probably not be worth it at that point. I'd you would imagine if he miss if Lemuel is not there round one, he's probably not there round two, but then you get him back in round four after the buy. If you're happy with the two-week rise from Aiken, then yes, get him. But I wouldn't be taking that risk at this point unless I know it's guaranteed maybe six to eight weeks for Aiken in the starting side. It's a perfect summary there. Just for some of our more lesser experienced coaches, they might see you know a player available at centre, starting left back row round one, go, you beauty, I'll pick him up and expect that they'll stay there for the season, which 
you know, with the way Level Early played an attack last year, doesn't seem to be the case. It appears that he's indeed the first choice. Now, speaking of centres, Jake Averillo, 470, sorry, 447k with a break even of 33. He's a player that I think I've basically got penciled into my squad unless we get a lot of cheap, cashy centres uh, before round one. So as you'll hear on the first version of Around the Traps that I recorded with Brenton and TK, Felice Kafusi reckons that Jake is trading the house down. So for sure, that means he's going to be very, very good in 2024. Now, for me, it's sort of that same effect that Hammer was Hammer has that we were talking about before, Sean, where better team, quicker players and better finishes will mean that his attacking output will rise. Because if we do look at his career average centre in games where he's played 50 minutes or more, it's only 27.4, which is actually below where he's priced. But look at his attacking stats in those. He only had a strike rate of 0.4 for tries, 0.1 for try assists, uh, 0.4 for line breaks, and 0.3 for line break assists. There's scope for improvement because we are assuming he's going to play right centre, and he's going to have Jermaine Asako outside him on right wing. And we know how good of a finisher Asako is. He was obviously top point scorer last year. And I think there's certainly scope for him to boost up what Azarko does and then obviously get some in return when it comes to a fantasy perspective. If we look at Brenko Lee, who played right centre most of the time for the Dolphins last year, and just a little anecdote on Brenko Lee, uh, near where I sat uh, at Suncorp Stadium, there was a guy who absolutely loved Brenko Lee. So every time Brenko Lee got the ball, this this guy who was you know, a couple of rows away, he'd go, oh, go Brenko! So he ended up being a bit of a cult hero on that Eastern grandstand at Suncorp Stadium whenever he got the ball. And it was actually quite sad because Branko Lee was a very, very good player at the peak of his powers. And you just tell that he wasn't 100% there with his body, not through lack of effort, just too many injuries. But he averaged 28 right centre, had little to no assists uh, or try assists or uh, line break assists or even line breaks himself. And I think Avarello, who's a very, very quick player, very athletic player, and of course played a fair bit of halves and fullbacks and the ball playing ability is there, can lift up. And with this one, Sean, you know, we know that we're probably going to get maybe Ethan Strange and, if we're lucky, Ben Travojevic uh, in week one for cheap centers. But if we had to go gambling in this 300 to 500k range, which I expect we do, is there any other more fun options than Avarillo in that price bracket? No, I, I kind of like sitting either going with Avarillo or Moses Suley. But again, both carry a bit of risk around their outputs. I do like Avarillo a little bit more. Um, you'll probably see a bit of an uptick in trices, as you said, with Asako outside him. You'll get a little bit more work done through the middle as the Dolphins do seem to play a lot more out of their back five than most teams, which is why Branko had such a high base stats if you have a look at it. And he's he's a skillful player, so if they want to move it wide quickly, his pace should get around most centres and be able to provide a bit more options for the team. Yeah, and he's a really fun player to watch as well. We've spoken about this heaps on Talking League, Sean. It is also worth getting players that you enjoy watching. They may not have been the absolute best fantasy players, but if they're really good fantasy players and they're fun to watch, uh, it's a nice little win-win there. So Jake Averill is the last player, of course, we're going to cover in this uh, preview for the Dolphins of 2024. So if you have been enjoying the preseason content, be sure to leave us a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. I believe it doesn't matter what it is that you say but more so the star rating. So if you've been enjoying it, if you give us a five-star rating, that'd be greatly appreciated. Now, that's going to wrap us up, Sean. Really appreciate your insight on this one. Are you covering any other teams over the preseason? Yeah, Andy and I will do the Panthers sometime during the preseason. That should be another nice fun one. Yeah, that will be. So look out for that one, folks. I'll also be on the Titans and Rabbitohs previews and, of course, also on Around the Traps every weekend with TK and Brenton. But that'll do us for the Dolphins uh, for 2024 season preview. Thank you for joining us, and we'll catch you in the next one.